Welcome to Create Great. This podcast series features conversations with creative people from different backgrounds, from different disciplines, and different schools of thought. Thank you for choosing to listen. This podcast is hosted by me, David Bennett, Creative Director of APX Studio and Curator of Visual, an online showcase. The best creatives will always strive to create something great, and I wanted to explore how they go about this what it means to them, their clients, and what it means to our wider society too. My guests are individuals whose work I've admired and often featured over the years on Visual. but I wanted to create this podcast to get to know the real people behind their creative work. I'll be asking questions about their own unique stories of how they got to where they are now, how much of it was perseverance and determination, or how much of it was just plain luck, and how do they go about creating something great? This is a chance to explore what drives these talented individuals or their studios to create great. Welcome to episode nine of Create Great. Today's podcast guests are the creative duo of Simon Dixon and Aprova Baxi, otherwise known as Dixon Baxi. Today, this podcast is coming from their rather lovely studio in London. I'd like to thank them for making time for me to come over and record. I'd also like to say a massive thank you to Sean Sean has been a sound engineer working closely on these series of podcasts. He's been there making sure our levels for the guests and myself work, and he's been making sure that all the audio sounds wonderful. So I'd like to take this opportunity to thank him, and I'm sure we'll be podcasting soon. So as we, as you, hopefully you know, because you've listened to the podcast, if you haven't, I'll give you a test later on. Um, but basically, with the podcast, I like to go back to the beginning of how it all started, and where you met and stuff like that. Look at some of the inspirations that you might have had when you were back at uni, and are they still current today? I think they might be, seeing some of your poster collections. And then I just, you know, want to just generally chat. So thanks for having me. How did it all start? How far, uh, how far back are we I wanna going? Go, I want to go to your you, Middlesex. Is that Middlesex? Yeah, I went wasn't to Middlesex it? University, so uh, well-researched. Yeah, I have fond memories of, of Middlesex, and I did a foundation course, you know, as, right. as many do. And, and that was really kind of uh, just an opportunity to try lots of different things. But even at that point, I was very clear about wanting to focus on graphic design at the time, right? The world yeah. has changed so considerably in the last 25 years. Uh, that that term uh, has taken on bigger proportions. But at the time, that was a focus. But as a foundation uh, is, you know, there's ceramics and life drawing and lots of life drawing yeah, yeah. and more life drawing, but a whole host of things. And then Middlesex University, I, I stayed on from that foundation to do visual communication design, which is a three-year course. And uh, it really began in an auspicious way because students were on strike. Uh, so actually, the, my first year was a turbulent year. But the, the rest of it was was fantastic. And I think really it kind of sort of, in one sense, laid the foundations for a lot of things. And to be honest, actually, I mean, taking nothing away from the university itself, I would say a lot of my lessons came from the students around me. You know, yeah, I, I yeah. kind of was very, I kind of set myself a goal of seeing who was the best. And there were certain people who were just amazing at typography. And, you know, this is back in the day when the, we had like maybe five Mac classics mm -hmm. uh, and it was all cut and paste, you print out and you'd stick on things. And there were just some people, uh, one chap actually, uh, Mark Tappin, who went on to a start company called Blue Source, did a whole bunch yeah. of covers. But there are a couple of folks that I just had an eye on and, and they were the people I, I wanted to kind of compete with essentially. 
but but that's where I started, and really it was just a just a love of of design and just learning what it even meant mm -hmm. to be a designer. And and to be honest, actually, you know, I think the way I learned was just by making things and figuring things out. I, I would say that you know the classes themselves weren't as rigorous, you know, as, as some of the things maybe Simon has experienced. And you know those formative periods of understanding typography and so on were almost through trial and error. Mm -hmm. And this was a time when Why Not Associates uh, just brought out all the next catalogs. So oh, I would yeah. collect all of those and go, what is this magic? And also, you know, there's Designs Republic, you know, Octavo and, and APO, and all of that was kind of surfacing. And a lot of it was very sort of opaque in a lot of ways mm -hmm. uh, because no one was really talking about it. But I would gather the kind of emigres and that type of stuff and just be really enthused by it and, and in a lot of ways just be influenced and heavily influenced to try and recreate some of that. But also, you know, that time was certainly a time of just figuring out, you know, what design was, what I like to do. And, and one thing I like to do was think about things a lot and wait till the last possible minute to actually do the work and everyone would be like, what are you doing you know but it was i think it kind of stands me a good state I, I do still like to do that i like to think about a lot of things and then there's a, a burst of energy and I, I really enjoyed that kind of creative energy of, of inventing something or making something in the moment but yeah my formative period was across those sort of three years and that was kind of a lot of time at mid-set wow simon where are you uh, York, right. as you can tell from my accent. Yeah, I um, I was pretty feral when I grew up, so I didn't go to school. So okay. my, my parents were very uh, bohemian, let's say, to make a polite phrase, I suppose. But um, I learned by doing. So I used to draw comic books. I used to paint, sketch, all those various things. And I went to college to do my O-levels, which was qualifications, when I was 15. And while I was doing that, I did a foundation course because mm -hmm. I knew I wanted to do something creative. And I did all sorts of things, printmaking, I did photography, I did uh, illustration, life drawing, the whole thing. And at the time, there's two things that kind of, I guess, influenced me. One was I was really into painters like Rauschenberg, Rothko, mm -hmm. yeah. kind of very expressive and kind of intense, uh, often kind of collage -y. But then that smushed into that kind of mid to late 80s period of British design where Paul's just described, you had everybody, you know, Von Oliver, Neville, um, HVO, John Sopanas, whoever you like. There was just this great group of designers who were very singular and it was high craft based, but they were also breaking the rules. And the person I kind of looked to the most was Wolfgang Weingart. And I got to speak to him a couple of times when we were starting out, but basically, I decided to do graphic design because I figured of all those things I liked, you could smush them together and do it as a discipline. And mm -hmm. I like that. And I'm quite a pragmatic person. So I like the idea of applying my creativity in the service of people as opposed to doing for the sake of it. And, you know, like everybody else, I looked at the back of the record covers and I looked at the 12 inches and I thought, well, this is not a bad gig. If you can do this mm -hmm. for a living, it's cool. Yeah. So I did that for a few years at Provincial College, but I was lucky enough on the course, the course was uniformly awful. I didn't enjoy it at all. But the people on it were great. So in the first two years, Mike from Build was on it. Okay. So I got to know him well. Second two years, Chris Ashworth, who did blah, 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 he was on it. So there's quite a few people who are pretty good mm -hmm. around me. So we learned by doing. And what I did was I formed a business whilst at college with two of the guys when I was 19. And that's basically what got me in the game. So ah. we just got in and got going. And what were you doing at the age of 19? 
F, apart from drinking heavily. <laughs> what design <laughs> work? Yeah, yeah. Um, no, we, um, Rayflight is the shop. Ah. So we, we had a little office in the back of a record shop. So we traded design for them and they gave us a, a space. Yeah. We had a computer that we, we got a Prince's Trust loan and they loaned us two grants. So we bought our first Apple Mac and I think it was like 89, I think it was. And three of us shared it. Right. And, but we were trained in traditional methods. So we did cut and paste. It was, it was a transition from the traditional cut and paste to digital. So we would like cut and paste, make stuff, scan it in, then make some digital stuff, spit it out, cut it in, and just kind of mess about and learn basically. And then we got into the music scene. We did, you know, hairdressers logos. We did all sorts of shit. Yeah. But we did music stuff. And at the time we were doing stuff which was in that early, early 90s where things just went crazy. Mm -hmm. And because of the technology, you could do what you wanted. It democratized access to just making what you wanted. And because it was for the music industry, and I mean this in the nicest possible sense, it was disposable because you're making a new thing every day. Yeah, yeah. And you could just try it. So you'd share it with the audience. They'd go out off their box and go, wow, this is cool. Yeah. So there was like an immediate reaction to the work. So it was a kind of life work thing, which oh, was really wow. cool. And we all shared a house as well. Oh, so it's good life. <laughs> so a real work life balance going on at the age of 19. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. And when did you both meet? So how did you both meet? When did you both meet? And when was that moment where it's like, so you, so I did this this business design company for about three four years, and then I joined another agency temporarily. I thought um, while I was going to move to London, mm -hmm. so I thought I'll just get some money, blah blah blah. And then one of the founders of that business said, "Oh, I want to open a studio in London." So I said, "I'll go with you." So this was, I think, 94, 95? Yeah, 95. I graduated in 94, so I was top of 95. Top yeah. of 95. Yeah. yeah. Went to London, and the story goes, we were hiring someone, and then my friend of mine, a guy called Ben, said, I've met this guy who's an intern, super nice dude, just meet him. So Pov came to chat to me, and he and I talked for ages about design and movies and the posters you see on the wall, yeah. 2001 Tron in this case. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And and just got on, and yeah. it, we've got in ever since. So the next day, I contacted the person we'd hired and said we made a mistake. Can Paul join us instead? And oh, then he brilliant. and I sat literally this far apart for a year or so. And then someone said, let's go to New York. So I went to New York with someone else. So Paul replaced me there. And then after about a year and a half, I went to San Francisco to do it again, and he replaced me in New York. So we worked together, but remotely for about five years, wasn't it? Yeah, five or six years. And, and then from the other side of that, what led me to meet Simon in the first place was I, I graduated Middlesex. I went to do a stint at a company called Michael Peters. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. So, you know, that, that world was really interesting. But I realized very quickly that wasn't for me. It was too corporate. It was mm -hmm. annual reports and yeah. that type of stuff. And although it was very crafted, it didn't necessarily have the expression that I was looking for, the certain excitement. But while I was there... I met a chap called Ben Tomlinson, who happens to be a very close friend of Simon. And so I was interning then. Ben said, you should chat to Si. I didn't know who Si was. I didn't yeah. know the company that he was uh, a part of. But I just kept that in, in the back of my head. And, and in the meantime, I did another stint, another internship at Saatchi and Saatchi. That world didn't uh, appeal to me either. Although it was certainly very exciting, I got to work on a couple of campaigns. And yeah, I, I think I just reached out. I'd seen, I think, something that Cy did in Creative Review and I went, hmm, this is really interesting. I think it was for EMI, if I remember rightly. Uh, black on black CD, I remember yeah. it very clearly now. <laughs> and it's uh, it? very, very striking. 
And I thought, hang on, these guys are doing something cool. So I, I reached out and, and this is the conversation that we had. But it is amazing, you know, it's that butterfly effect of yeah. meeting someone and then that person knowing someone else and, that, and making that recommendation. And uh, yeah, you know, I mean, it started this, uh, this relationship. We're in 2728 years now. Yeah, it's a long time. Men and boy. And there's <laughs> a, obviously a bond and a visual kind of connection. And then this is it. This yeah, is it's, it's, it's going to sound trite, this, but we've always described it as there's like there's something between us that's the magic. Yeah. So it's, it's I think independently, we're pretty good designers. Um, and when we cut our teeth, we were doing, I think, things that were interesting. But, you know, that type of work when you're young is quite transient. You're still mm-hmm. learning about the industry and you're heavily influenced, of course, by the, some of the people we talked about. You can't help it. Mm. And this predates the internet and stuff. So you had to figure out your place in the world by doing, mm-hmm. and reputations were earned. You know, yes. it took ages to earn a reputation. So if you go see Saul Bass, that's a you know, 40 year reputation you're seeing. And mm-hmm. you can only ever see him once and all that kind of stuff. So there was a lot of kind of shared value between us. And there's enough similarity in the way we see the world, but enough difference that a balance is good. You need a bit of yin and yang, mm-hmm. but you also need to trust, trust the other person implicitly. And I always describe it like we're more like brothers, I think, than we are, you know, um, business colleagues oh, and friends. Yeah. Because we've shared ups and downs of nearly 30 years of our lives, best man to each other, all that kind of stuff. So it's, again, it's a, like a life work thing, yeah. which is really... Uh, well, it's amazing. I can't say it any other way. It's fucking fantastic. Um, but we've always had this thing, which is we used to share the work. So I'd do something, give it to a portfolio, mm-hmm. and he'd give it back to me. Mm-hmm. And he'd have changed everything. Then I'd give it back <laughs> to him, change everything. We still do that now. Right. But that uh, openness to just share the work created the foundation for this. Yes. And created the foundation to have, trust each other. So if he's doing something, I trust him 100%. Yeah. And vice versa, I hope. Yeah, and, and that was a good bond. Yeah, yeah. and I think it, it just happened quite naturally. You know, mm-hmm. we did work side by side. You know, we, all, we did work together in London. And, and that sharing was something that we hold dear today. You know, we kind of help and, and I guess motivate the team to do that. You know, there's this sort of ownership of the ability to share and, and learn from the others. But I think we found it very naturally. And so not only sharing work, but sharing ideas and also... You know, if we weren't in the same studio, Simon was in, in New York and I happened to be in Sydney or, or vice versa or any of those opportunities that we had, we'd continually be talking and sharing and there would be a, a healthy competition, you know, oh man, he's just nailing it yeah. and I, I have to be better and, and hopefully vice versa. But there's a mutual respect um, for doing great things. Yeah. And there is, there is no one else that um, pushes me Mm-hmm. Uh, in the way that Sai does, in the most positive way. I think we hopefully balance each other and, and give each other a, an elevation. And I think that's the, the yin and yang and the push and pull and all yeah. of those things. And I think... We get, um, you know, we get asked a lot about... So in a sense, we're like a 25, 30-year overnight success. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's taken a long time to get where we are. But people talk to us about burnout, changes mm-hmm. in the world, worries about the industry and all those things. But what we found is because there's two of us, there's a kind of strength of mind that comes from that. Mm-hmm. And we have this kind of focus on what is happening now and what's happening tomorrow and how we make the work and what, what it makes us feel like and do we feel proud of it and is it exciting us? And this morning we were talking about work exactly the same as we did when we were 23. Right. There's no change in that. Obviously we have more exper- experience to uh, bring to bear. 
and we have a catalog that we have a shorthand now of course so we can show up talking short bursts and both of us know what we're talking about yeah but that's the decision making engine of the company yeah what do you think about that i don't know yeah maybe okay yeah. that's the decision is ratified yeah obviously we speak to leadership team if it's something that affects the actual company but in terms of what we think about creativity there's like a really nice shorthand now mm. and it gives you great strength because if i'm not up for it or down in some way he can fill me up and vice versa I hope. so the, there's something great and what that means is that battery never runs out of energy mm -hmm. we never run out of power because one of us is always on yeah, brilliant because i i've seen it a few times and i'll, I'll share it on the on the visual feed about the things you will and won't do when you first started yeah oh yeah and you still hold true to that to a certain extent yeah yeah i mean you know that it's evolved over time yeah but we, we still share that in, in talks and it seems to really resonate with people yeah, yeah. i mean it's partly great. because you know when you're starting a, a new endeavor like this you know we're coming together around an idea and we had shared values but we also wanted to articulate shared principles and a point of view on the world and although some of them are, in a sense, yeah, really simple, they ground us. And, and even going back to them, it's like reading self-help books and so on, right? Why, why is there such a burgeoning industry of those? Because mm -hmm. you need reminding of key values and key ways of working. But for us, those principles have meant quite a lot because they help us make decisions as well. You know, we don't pull them out and go, well, let's cross-check. But... I think they remind us of our true values, but over time they've evolved, yeah, you know, sure. they, they've, they've kind of taken on a shape. But I think the underlying strength of them, the fact that we want to, you know, look to the future, the fact that we want to be straight talking, you know, that we want to reject a convention, that, you know, we want to be brave, all of those things are rooted in the, the need to make new things mm -hmm. and the idea of invention. I think that's, that is the other factor. what it feels like to make. Well, yeah, yeah. Because there's a lot of conversation about like winning awards and pieces of work. And the way we see it, it's, it's, a, it's the actual way of working is the thing. That's mm -hmm. what you do when no one's watching. Yeah, it's hours and hours of work. Yeah. So that should feel alive and, and challenging and exciting and different, and, and and you should be curious and learning all of that. Otherwise, you start atrophying. There's something scary about that. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't like that idea. So. It, it's a challenge to us, and, and when when we entered the industry, it was a very different time. Mm. It was very masculine, yeah. very singular. Lots of positives to it, of course. Amazing, amazing creativity, but it went through a really toxic, very selfish period, I think. Mm -hmm. So a lot of what we did was trying to get better at what we do, and certainly when we had a studio, was learning how to look after people and do our job properly, mm. yeah. and, and not fuck up. Yeah. You know, because yeah, yeah. doing great work is. That's one thing, but doing great work with lots of people and making sure that they're okay is harder. It's much, much harder. And a lot of the choices are about, you know, not working for free, not working with toxic people, but just being honest about the, the world. Because if you want to do great work, you've got to be honest with someone. Mm -hmm. But then you've got to create the space for that honesty to be in a safe environment because it's quite troubling for people if you say, I'm not sure about the work. And the days where someone storms in and tears work off a wall mm -hmm. and calls someone a see you next Tuesday and piles out, you, yeah, yeah. That's, that's just not helpful. Yeah, yeah. So you have to create a way of working that suits that. And, you know, we get asked about how we get our clients and all that stuff. And it's like, because we've been doing the same thing from the beginning of the agency where we had no work, no money or nothing. You do it from GA dot, you don't do it once you get successful. It's what yeah, makes yeah. you successful. 
and the success is relative to us and our pride in the work, not, not that we think we're better than anyone else. I don't mean it like that. But that's what defines us. It's, it's what you do when no one else is looking that really makes you what you are, I think. Yeah. I want to jump back to the I've been writing notes. Uh, sure. Internship. Obviously, you mentioned that you did yeah. an internship. It seems really key to the future-facing Dixon Baxter. Yeah. And I think, yeah. what, as I mentioned, that there's there's uh, an energy which is really nice when you walk in and you see. Looks like there might be like someone talking about brand strategy, explaining sure. stuff, and it's like, okay, this is nice because they feel youthful and young as a as a studio. Which is well, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it should do. I mean, it's good for us. There's there's a number of things at play when we talk about that. Um, one of which is the only way to change the industry for the better. Is, a, is to give access from the ground up. Yeah. So if you try and change the dynamics of leadership at the top of the industry, there's not enough diversity of people and mindsets and backgrounds to mm -hmm. do that. So we made a decision six, seven, eight years ago that our internship, and we've always had interns, even though there's two of us, would be the engine of the future of the company. So Marta, who's our head of production, she started as intern. Several of us, our creative leadership team did. And what it's meant is we've become richer, of uh, mind and spirit, more diverse, and given access to people who maybe haven't gone to university, given mm -hmm. access to people who come from different countries and backgrounds that are Absolutely. maybe different. And that makes the work better, it makes our lives better, it works in the working practices better. So that's about mentoring and teaching. And our intern program, we pay it, and we pay 10% above the proper London living wage, not the living wage, the yeah. proper one. And that's because if people can't earn while they're learning, Loads of people won't get to do that. Mm -hmm. So it's a financial, a spiritual, and a kind of professional thing you sh we try and do to help broaden the opportunity for people in our industry. Yeah. And we've been doing that for a long time. And we benefit from that because we meet people that we wouldn't have done otherwise. We learn from them. We broaden our cultural, you know, kind of perspective. Yeah, yeah. yeah and it's huge. I mean, it's super important. Yeah, yeah it, 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 I think you're right. You know, it's um, also the spirit of the company. Mm -hmm. You know, we have a very youthful team, but also it's. I think it's certainly because we work globally as well. The different perspectives. I think we have 18 different nationalities in a team of 50, and that gives us the opportunity of really saying that actually, you know, we want to be. Uh, interested but also we understand that culture because we have people from that part of the world but it isn't just that it's also the conversations are different you know mm -hmm. the life experiences are different and therefore it enthuses us you know we are well into our career but we stay fresh and different and it's super exciting you know we're, we're, not, we're, we're, we're fairly well as compared to everyone else and I, I find it super exciting. You know, you talked about how we construct the week, you know, we Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday in, but that Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is massive fuel for us. I, I mean, I actually look forward to coming to the yeah, studio. Yeah, yeah, I look forward to it. I mean, some days it's hard work. I mean, you can't bullshit this. Our job is difficult. It's deadline-based, all that stuff, and it's hard. But there's something really nice about having optimism and enthusiasm of the driver for what you do. Yeah. Yeah. Because it means lifts you up. I get asked all the time about career changes, people doing jobs they don't like, do people doing work they don't like. And the only way to change that is to change it. Mm -hmm. And you have to change the dynamic. If you look at the world negatively and you look at the world from only one perspective, you're not getting enough out of life. And to be a creative person professionally for a living is an amazing thing. It's oh. like incredible. 
It's and so lucky. We're so lucky. We are. Yeah. I mean, we are genuinely exactly. lucky. <laughs> Massively lucky. Yeah. Of yeah. all the things you could be doing. Yeah. I chatted to a guy yesterday about that, and I said, like, he said, well, you seem very enthused. And I said, well, fuck me. Look at what I get to do for a living, and someone pays me to do that. And I do it with really nice people. Mm. So, and I get to meet people like you. And of yeah. course, that is the magic, isn't it? What we're all about, I think. Yeah. Definitely. And I do, I do think going back to that sort of early, because I came out of college probably the same time as you, yeah. that kind of 94. I, my first job was through someone recommendation. It's right. always been through recommendation. And, that, yeah. and it's like when I talk to like young juniors and stuff, I'm like, you're only literally like two people away from someone going, oh yeah, I know him. Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I think the community is, the camaraderie, I think is, has evolved and grown as well. I mean, it was it was probably always there, but I think obviously things like social media and the ability for us to move more freely, um, even more recently, things like uh, COVID, there's many poor and bad things about that, but equally, I think it's just made people, uh, I found closer or more open to a conversation, Definitely. even if it's 20 minutes. And, you know, certainly we've tried even harder to respond to anyone that reaches out and, and coming back to, that next generation, you know, it's it's fascinating getting a, a note on Instagram or LinkedIn, and oftentimes it's a question, you know, it isn't simply here's my work, it's a, I'm intrigued by this, or help me with my thesis, or any of those things, and I yeah, think yeah. it just starts to foster a relationship, so, so you're right, you know, if there is any sort of um, thoughts we give to the next generation is ask that first question, mm. and uh, oftentimes you get... Paul which describes it as, as um, a limiting belief. Yeah. that people believe there's a certain way of doing things. Mm. And there's an awful lot of bullshit and nonsense in our industry, and there's a lot of projection of yeah. what you should and shouldn't do. And of course, being a great person, there's so many different roles, ways of working, skills of businesses, independent, generalist, specialist, massive company. There's loads of ways of working, anywhere in the world. Yeah. But it seems to be very prescriptive, and people, certainly what I see is a lot of people carry that very heavily. Mm-hmm. They carry that sense of like, am I missing out? Mm-hmm. Have I got that title? Am I doing what other people are doing? And you know, our job, I think, is to create the space for people not to have to worry about that, is to worry about the work they're doing and how it makes them feel and how they work with other people so that they do better work and feel more fulfilled, more validated, and they grow from that. And if they do, then our work is better. You can see it in the work. If you walk around the studio, you can see when someone's a bit tense and you can literally see when someone's flowing. Yeah. It's like you see it in the work. Yeah. So it's a really ready retina, and the, the more confidence we can instill in people and the more optimism and positivity, we can just feel it in the output, we can mm-hmm. feel it in the work. So it's it's a balance of both things. It's about looking after people, but if you get it right, the work is better, which is why we're doing it yeah, in the first yeah, place. Yeah, yeah. And has that, I mean, it's all very positive, which is brilliant. Has there any been any sort of really negative, like you've had a client you've just gone, oh, is it really worth it? Or has it always been, well, we can't go there? Because uh, I always find it fascinating. About that. Look, I mean, in, in 20 plus years of, of having the studio, you, you're going to meet all sorts of people. Yeah. And, you know, all, uh, <laughs> 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 uh, uh, and, the memories and, are coming uh, back. The memories are coming back. And, and to be honest, actually, I, I, largely we are optimists uh, and we can see our opportunity in any brief or project. But a lot of the... The things that we do also curate relationships. I mean, the, the, the chemistry and your relationship with the person or the team is hugely important to the success of the work. And 
you know, in the good times when you have lots of choice and you can you can make those choices, you you can curate those relationships. But of course, you know, there've been some tough projects, yeah. projects that have deep and tough challenges that you're like, wow, this is either complex or we're actually learning an entirely new skill mm -hmm. or the, there's scope change or all of those things. But then there is simply a, a meeting of minds or a not meeting of minds. You know, we're actually not aligned or mm. you're not as ambitious as we thought this yeah. project was going to be. And so the, the thing I will say, though, is that over that time, because we've been lucky enough or had the experience of being in different boardrooms or different environments of different people, I think we get to empathize and listen and adapt. Mm -hmm. So I think one thing that we've learned, and I think the journey that a lot of the team are on, is how to adapt to those folks to then ask the right questions, change the mindset, uh, help them come on a journey, uh, you know, realize that actually, you know, maybe they have a point. And all of those things happen. So it's taking nothing away from the fact that there's been some real tough cookies to crack. Uh, or clients that actually, you know, or relationships that we don't think are, are right. And we make those so, tough choices. I mean, it's also hard to run a company for more than two decades. Yeah. There's no yeah. way, yeah. no yeah. way it can be cut and it's fucking hard. Yeah. It's really fucking hard. Mm. And anybody who's had an agency more than two or three years, I have huge, huge admiration for because you're responsible for everything. The creative direction, the sense of place, the work, getting the work in, you know, all the kind of imposter syndrome, existential crisis that comes from being a great person is folded into everything. And we've made loads of mistakes over the years, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. tons and tons of them. But we've always seen it as a learning engine, which is if we, we fuck up, it's okay once. If you do the same thing twice, then there's something wrong. Right. So it, you know, we've resigned clients, uh, we've passed clients over, we've done work that we're not proud of occasionally. But as we've developed, we've protected ourselves in doing that by better choice of who we sue mm -hmm. creatively. We've got better systems to be more honest about the work so we never leaves without it being of a level. So what you start to do is put the kind of scaffolding in place that protects you from those things. Yeah. We're very pragmatic about the finances of the business. So we have a huge cash reserves to protect us from taking work just for money. Mm -hmm. And that's the root of most shit work is you're desperate for revenue or money you take a shit job on, you have to eat that, and the client's toxic, the work's shit or whatever, yeah, and suddenly you have to do it again. Then you have to do it again. You turn around a year later, the agency's not what it was. Mm -hmm. So we protect the company by financially making it really, really robust so we can be careful about how we curate our relationships and the work we do. And that's that's the answer, basically. That's really good. I'm going to pick up on the point where you said you don't do free work. Um, no. Our industry has just become this weird thing of create free creative pitches and all this nonsense beauty parades, and we try not to do it as well. Yeah. But I think it's you know it's so bad. But it's it's, a, it's I mean yeah to be honest actually I mean, one of the pr principles was no no pitches mm. uh, right at the beginning, and we we we've stuck to that uh, in essence. I mean you know sometimes you get a pitch fee. Sometimes the scale of project is so big that you know it's going to work like that, but. The conversation that we have is one of, is rooted in idea and strategy and why us. And certainly now, I think in the last sort of four or five years, we don't pitch. You know, it's based on uh, conviction-led mm -hmm. ideas. So rather than doing a full, you know, creative pitch or a beauty parade where you're lined up against other people who could do the job, that's the other thing. You know, we're lucky enough to play at a level 
where any one of those five agencies or four agencies could do a fantastic job because they're all great. So oftentimes it's it's chemistry or yeah. a piece of work that, that's and it's, chosen. And it's curating the relationship. Yeah. yeah. So the hardest thing in the world is to say no. Yeah. And pitching's a good example. We started the agency not pitching. We didn't pitch for a decade. Wow. So we didn't pitch for a decade. We turned massive companies down. We turned Formula One down, for example. It was a great Formula One story. We didn't, uh, they said, right. we pitch against these agencies who so we won't pitch. And we really wanted to do the yeah, show. Yeah. We were like, this is it. We're motorsport fans and, and Formula One was, you know, top of the tree. Yeah, and we said, we won't. So this, they came back <laughs> and said, we want you to pitch. And we said, we're not pitching for free. And we sent a letter to them. Yeah, we're like, do we want to do this? So they said, we'll pay you a fee for pitching. And we said, right, okay, it's not a brand job, so we can design, it was, a, it was this, the graphics. And we won. And that was, that was the first time we pitched for 10 years. Wow. And then we, we fell into the trap of, we were very careful about what we pitched for, yeah. but we fell into the trap of believing that was the answer. Mm. That was the way to run the engine of the business. Because we had a really good strike rate, because when we pitched, we went full bore to win. Yeah. And we had a good strike rate. And then we were like, this is stupid. This is not how it should be. So we learned from that after a period and just said, we're not doing it anymore. Mm. And since we stopped, I just prefer the company. It's better. I don't like working for free. I don't like doing work that's not empowered by ideas and, and the insight that you need from a client. Yes. And also, I don't like beauty parades. I can see you're beautiful. I know you're beautiful. <laughs> Even if I only saw visual, I know you know what the fuck you're doing. <laughs> you know. I can see Collins' work or Ragged Edges' work or whoever you think's cool. Oh, yeah. You can see it. So why the hell do I have to make more work for you to understand that I can do the gig? Mm -hmm. It doesn't make any sense. You know, if I went to a Porsche garage, they wouldn't just give you a car for free. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. So we we we're very careful about that. And and you know what? It's not in fact we don't do it. It's not simply saying no, you know, the end of the conversation. I think, you know, a lot of relationships that we build are helping clients see the value of not pitching. I saving time, saving money, uh, saving going around in circles, and then saving that, bringing that into the work because the work is better because of the conversation that we have. And so we find uh, oftentimes that we might change the game by having that conversation soon enough and saying, well, actually don't pitch, do it this way. And then suddenly all the other agencies that might have been in the mix are not pitching and we approach it differently. And as I say, it's, it's sort of a conviction that approach. Before, yeah. When we started, when yeah. we stopped pitching again, we would say to them, look, we're not going to pitch and we recommend you don't do this as a pitch. Speak to the other agencies, do chemistry and yeah, talk yeah. to them, find out, because you need to know if you like the people. And that's the only real way to change it is through conversation and debate yeah. and a more collegiate way of looking yeah, at it. Finding clients are palatable to that. They, they, they understand the value of it and the mm -hmm. reason. And we found that we've been able to approach it entirely differently. So that's, that's one way, that's kind of a one-to-one -one way of There's yeah, also doing work. it. Yeah. There's enough work for everyone. Yeah. And, you know, everybody looks at everyone else's work. I'm sure they do. But we don't like the idea of competing. We just mm. like doing our own thing. And we love that other people are successful. We really, when everyone's successful, the industry's successful, you want it to, everyone mm -hmm. to do well. Yeah, absolutely. It's crazy to kind of be in a competitive mindset with other agencies. We're just we're not hardwired like that. I mean, we, obviously, if we did compete, we'd compete hard. Yeah. But it would be, we don't want to, yeah. you know, we like making work that is great for the client and we all love doing it. And then we enjoy other people doing that for somebody else. So we'd rather wait for the right relationship. And 
it's all about what Paul said, it's about showing the value of the change you can make. Yeah? Mm. And that's about conversation and ideas and relationships and building consensus. It's not about red or blue. Very true, very true. Right. Quick fire round. Okay, so okay. Okay. quick fire round. Here we go. Sans or serif? Serif. Okay. I was trying to think. Oh, hold on. Dixon Banksy, what can I talk to him about? Wide screen or square Instagram format? Wide screen every time. Wide screen. RGB, CMYK? RGB. RGB. Figma or Miro? Neither. <laughs> so I thought, I bet they're on Figma. <laughs> With the, the, the team, they're all on Figma, um, but uh, yeah, I'd rather um, uh, pen and paper or InDesign. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was going to put or, down or, InDesign or this shade. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or no, uh, that's it's a definitely bit... InDesign. Or, or, I'll go back to freehand. You, Michael. We use all the um, we use all the softwares. Yeah. Yeah. And everything and AI and all sorts of rhubarb. So uh, the company is always at the edge of where the various softwares are, particularly the digital work we do. Yeah. But for us, um, voice, you know, as in chatting to people, a pencil, InDesign, those things mm. are fine for what we need to do. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't like Illustrator. I never have. No. But, uh, I Photoshop I use occasionally. Oh. For blurs. And I was going to talk about, because, you know, thinking of Dixon Baxley going back, at, you know, it really felt like broadcast branding. And it feels like you kind of own that space, which is magnificent it feels mm -hmm. like you're kind of breaking out doing a bit more maybe property branding then coming back into it how did where was the the bit when you went actually this we want to make this move what was the because i remember middlesex yeah. they had a henry machine that's they? right yeah yeah and a quantel back in the day this so, is ages yeah, and stop motion you know one of my first pieces was stop motion but to be honest actually i mean you know if, if we rewind the 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 way back clock to then it was Look, it was it was print. You know, we were just uh, making yeah. making things in books or posters or flyers or, or that type of stuff. But it was really the work that we we're doing. And, and, and when Sai went out to to New York, oftentimes uh, him and his team were asked, "Well, hang on, this work looks like it's moving already off the page." Right, yeah, right. Had that sense of motion. Can you make it move? The answer is yes. And then they just went and figured it out. And so the same thing happened with myself. You know, being part of the same organization is that. It wasn't that we trained how to be directors or make things mm. move or think in that way. It was just that that was the job. Yeah. Right. Go on set and shoot this commercial, animate that thing, lead this thing, try that thing, make a music video. So that's where it came from. It came from right. the school of hard knocks of making it. And we yeah. were just so enthused by making things, anything that, yeah, we can do that. And we were in a time where, and, and even now, yeah, the mindset is, well, why not? Mm. So we would just, would try those things. It's not they, even, it's yeah. not, it's also, the world changes. Yeah. So I learned hot metal, yeah, burnt old typesetting, DTP or what, desktop publishing That's or whatever right. it's called. And then technology and systems changed. Mm -hmm. So the world moves. Yeah. The world is an audience. Mm -hmm on your laptop, your phone, it's all about content, the interaction you have with that content, the way that those services and products work for you in the real world, in the digital world, whatever. So it's a connected ecosystem now. So it's a design system, it's an ecosystem, yeah. it's not a set of assets. Yeah. So you have to build things that 
you can hear, you can touch, you can interact with, that move independently or with you. Mm -hmm. Things that work in the real world, things that work when they're tiny on a phone. And that's been like that for decades. So when we were working in the early version of our careers, technology was always at the edge of what we did. So we worked on concept cards, the future of retail. We worked on films, lots of different things. And we liked the idea of design that connects to people wherever they are. It's not yeah, broadcast branding. Yeah. It's design that connects people to the things they want, the services. And sometimes, yes, it might be post if you walk into a gallery, but we're not classic design guys. We're, mm. we're just branded design system guys or folks. And that's what we do. We, we create interconnected systems from our strategic ideas that are distinct and have a perspective and there's a belief that drives that for the company. And it's on behalf of tens of hundreds of millions of people that are using the things we do. On any given day, more than a billion people are interacting with the things we make. Wow. So that's why they have to move. That's why they have to change. It's, it's not a fixed system. It has to keep learning and adapting. Yeah. And if you make a brand which is like lots of pastel colors with some nice serifs and you know, nice cheeky illustration and you throw it into the world and you haven't figured that out, after about two days, it breaks yeah. and then it gets worse. Yeah. So you have to make something that understands how the world works and fixes and flexes to that. So we, we always like that idea. And for whatever reason, we've always been agnostic about technology. We've seen it as a facilitator of that relationship mm -hmm. with the people we design for. Mm -hmm. So we use it to improve that. Right. Very good. Very good. Okay. There's a bit of advice time. Is there a bit of advice that someone said to you that you've sort of held on to and yeah. pass it down to like the next wave of creatives? Or is there anything you can sort of pass on? Well, I mean, I don't know if someone said this to me, but it's something that um, is uh, kind of a, a really important thing is just uh, practice and practice mm. and practice and just keep making things. You know, I think it's... Um, there's a sort of, I think the world that we, we occupy now, there's a race to the top or a race to achieve some perceived yes. perfection. Yeah. And just the simple joy of making things and trying things and practicing your, your, your art and craft and figuring out wh who, what your voice is, uh, showing off a little bit, you know, putting the work out there, or even for yourself, mm. is really important. So I'd say that just the ability to practice that you know, that what we do is, is really important. And I still do that today, you know, I'm still learning. So I don't know if that's um, a piece of advice that I heard, but it's something that I've learned and it's something that I definitely carry on doing. Yeah. Well, I, I have two. So if I'm thinking about the company, mm. it's a team before self every time. So that comes from Billy Bremner, who's a Leeds United footballer. And it's this idea that the entity is more important than you are personally. Yeah. So I learned that about him a long time ago, mm -hmm. but I hold that as a personal thing mm -hmm. when I think about looking after everybody. And then when I think about creativity in general, there's a number of things. One is figuring out what you love to do, finding a way of doing that. Yeah. And doing that on your terms rather than looking at other people. Mm -hmm. Because that fear of missing out and chasing someone else's dream is, is, is not fulfilling. The second thing is not working just for money. It's working for the work and then the money comes. Yeah. And then the third thing is, it's really hard work. Nobody brilliant at what they do cheats it. So all the people you speak to on this podcast and the wonderful people you put up on Visual no one's cheating that. Yeah. They're all putting the hard yards in. Yeah. And no one likes to say that out loud. Don't burn out. 
protect your mental health. But if you want to get excellent at what you do, you have to put the time in. Yeah. And you have to keep putting the time in. You can't cheat it. So they're the three beats when I think about them. Mm. I, do, I do think it's interesting. It's, you know, I often you know, quite, hit, hit a milestone this year. So it's like, okay, super lucky in what we do. But of course. It's, it really is a passion of mine. And yeah. I've been so fortunate to do it. I just don't want to let it go. Yeah. yeah, and it's that real thing of like I can't turn off. It's like I had a week off for Easter, and I literally came back yesterday, and it's like, okay, what have I missed out? <laughs> it's like, yeah, what has happened in that week? In right. those three days, what's yeah. happened? Because yeah. I've got FOMO, and I want to know what's going on. Yeah, it's it's what it is. I guess yeah, I was talking to my wife about this because we we have um, a big project launching next week, and I was looking at some things, and I was I was obsessing over it. Yeah. It's not quite right or we can do better and so on and she's like yeah let it go it's like yeah um midnight or whatever just kept looking at this thing and she's like but you've been looking at it all day and she understands where i'm coming from she had a design agency back in the day and so on but sometimes you have to be pulled out the rabbit hole but uh went to the sachi exhibition uh you know uh, on saturday lucky enough to go to the theater lehman brothers thing all of those things are what we do yeah, they, they just fuel the mind. And um, and you're right, there is a sort of obsession, but I would say it's a positive one. It's baked in. It's, it's what we do and what we love. Yeah. Although, I will say that you know, over the years, uh, I've learned to detach and give space mm-hmm. to the, the team to have their autonomy and, their, and be open to things that I may not like or yeah, be yeah. not sure about. And I think that's really important, and, and I, I find that actually quite liberating yeah. to be able to do that. So I'm not as concerned, um, you know, about having to have my hands in everything, but at the same time, you know, obviously care about everything as well. What's the question? <laughs> I can't remember. I, just I, can't, I can't remember. Sure I agree. <laughs> or disagree. We read it well the best. Yeah. No, I think you were saying actually that. Even on the weekend, you know, you you oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. spoke I don't um, I don't see I, I like Porter and like you. I'm trained at being able to switch off if I need to. Yeah. So I I know the signs when I'm I'm getting tired or burnt out and stuff. Yeah. So I go do something else. And I protect my time in that sense. But I really love what I do and I, I I'm defined by being a creative person. Mm-hmm. And I don't like this idea of having side hustles and having to go to a gallery to feel creative. Mm. You can do that anywhere. You know, and I like the idea that you're an aggregation of everything you've ever seen yeah. and everything you've ever experienced. You're an aggregation of that and you can pull it out and make something with it or shape something or help someone else make something. Mm. And that's a really joyful thing to do. It's deeply frustrating sometimes when the work is shit or you're a bit lost and you get confused and sometimes you get self-doubt. Yeah. But that's just part of the journey. It's a messy thing. And I, I, I like that feeling. And like you, I can't imagine giving up because what else would I do? I maybe would express myself yeah. differently creatively, but yeah. you know, once you've got once you've got it in your blood, I think it's hard to get it out. Yeah, yeah. and I don't want to either. No, exactly, exactly. It's like yeah, being a vampire. <laughs> I know. I think, and I think that comes. I don't know if it's a generational thing. I don't know what it is, but it 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 feels like. Maybe it's, you know, I always talk about, you know, when when we left college and stuff, the one thing that we have that you don't have now is time. We didn't ever, mm-hmm. even have a colour printer. Yeah. We used to send it out to Metro 
Right. Put it on. 24 hour rush of 48, yeah. we do 48. And then it's like the next day, pick up a new project, yeah. wait for it to come back. All oh, that color doesn't look like Pantone 298. <laughs> and it was, it was really interesting that thing of time to sit back and reflect. And now everything's just, everything's so instant, yeah. you know. Yeah. Someone to come over and go, what do you think of this? I'm like, oh, hold on a sec. I'd, I'd like to sit with it for a bit and then but that's think the about discipline, it. discipline, don't you think? I think that's okay. Because I think we all think about our careers and we look back, but I think there's a pyramid. Mm. And at the bottom of the pyramid is shit work. And then there's mediocre work. Then yeah. there's okay work. Then there's good work. Then there's great work. Then there's the very best work. And every generation has that. Yeah. And getting to that top pyramid is really, really tricky. So the people who commit to that, the ones who have the focus and want to aspire to that, do that. People who don't, don't. And that was the same when I left college. Three or four people went on to great things. Three, in fact, went to truly great things. The rest didn't because yeah, they made yeah. different life choices. Yeah. And the same will happen to this generation. So I think it's about where you are on that creative drive and endeavor. Yeah, yeah, and sure. you're very fortunate. You speak to the people in the very top of the pyramid more frequently than most people do. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, and that and the whole thing of this podcast really came from that during that kind of lockdown where I spoke with you, which was which was the first time we've ever spoken. Yeah. And I spoke to Paul Blackburn, Studio Blackburn, oh, yeah. right. and just had a really frank conversation yeah. about, oh, running a design studio where you right. can't actually go into the design studio and you're on Zoom and it's like left a bit, right a bit. Yeah. And that was like, oh, a bit of honesty. Yeah. And I really enjoyed that. And I thought, okay, so there are people out there who are not just candy-coating it. There is honesty and stuff. And that was the impetus to that. Actually, let's talk to the people I admire, who I think are brilliant. Thanks to you too. There you go. And, and, you know, talk to the people I like to, that my peers and who I respect and get their views on everything and, and their journey into it. Yeah. And I think actually having that open conversation during that time was, was as you said, was really liberating and people opening up to, to things because it, it was hard. It, it, it was hard and I think, you know, it, I think it's okay to admit that. We, we talk a lot about being open source or having a sense of transparency. So, you know, yeah. you, you've seen a lot of pictures, images of the studio and hopefully the team. Yeah. But we try and at least get under the skin of, of, of running a studio in some sense. We have the Dixon Baxi way, which you hear from the entire team or, mm -hmm. or, or a lot of them. But I think that, that there is, look, every, every company or agency has a, a brand, essentially, right? The, the things you see on Instagram aren't the reality behind the scenes. It's heavily mm -hmm. curated, and that's kind of one reality. But, you know, it's like we're saying, running an agency has huge challenges, you know, not just in team and how to create the great work, but everything that, that goes with that. And it is messy and challenging. Every day is also exciting and different. But the honesty is that it's it's not easy, you know, and there are sharp edges and you do make mistakes and, you, you know, you sometimes don't know which way to go, but then you have to go back to instinct. It's also, um, you know, it's, it's good to share the burden yeah. and good to share the opportunity. You know, it's healthy if we all talk to each other. Yeah. Like I talk to, I make time in my schedule to talk to people all the time now and have them for years to be honest. But I talk to people who are just enter, entering the industry, but I talk, and I talk to people like you do at a very senior level. I don't know on a podcast, but, mm. but I like talking to the strata of our industry at different experience levels, because you learn different things from those people. But I think the more open source and honest we are, the 
the healthier it is for mm -hmm. everyone to realize that we're not just on a treadmill of having to do the same thing and that you can rest control in, in terms of your career and the way you work and yeah. when you do you're happier basically yeah. you know it's not just about that award or that particular title or the, the kind of paraphernalia of the industry if you want those things that's fantastic you mm -hmm. know because want to win a gold dna deer or a black pencil or whatever but it's that's not what it's about it's how you feel when you're making things yeah. and the things that block that need to be chipped away at and having chats like this you go oh shit we're we're actually very similar that's there's something really helpful mm. about that i think yeah definitely and i think i'm going to sort of wrap it up a bit now because i want to go around and have a look at all your poster collection because it looks <laughs> awesome but I think you both should be really proud of what you've created. I think it's really amazing that your journeys and, and what you're doing out there in the studio. I think it is hats off to you. I think I, I, I really respect that. I look to you and think, I want OPX to be like that kind of thing. I want that next generation. I want to be that. And just hearing you talk about it, it's reaffirms it. Hopefully it reaffirms it to other people, but it's very kind. It, I mean, you know, being, being inside it, you oftentimes don't always see it like that. You know, what one of our first tenants was don't believe that your own hype as well. Um, but I think a bit of humbleness, feet on the ground, being pragmatic, you know, and, and we're always looking forward, you know, we often ask the question, you know, what's your favorite project? But we're always like, the answer is the next one. Yeah. But I think, you know, that the purposeful kind of look to to what we can do next and how we can be better in the way that you're thinking about OPX is is what drives it. But it's very kind of you to yeah, say that. I think you know um, it's it's very uh, humbling. In it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's. I mean, particularly for someone like you that we respect massively. It's yeah. it's hard to know what it's like. But yeah. what I find very humbling is when people talk about the way the company works rather than just the work. Yeah, mm -hmm. because obviously that's what we spend most of our time. On because that creates the output of the work. And, and it's nice to hear from an external perspective that the projection of that and the reality of it is the same. And it means we've learned and got better at our jobs. We've got better at how we create a, a space for people to collaborate together and do cool things. And actually, that's the thing that gives me more joy in that now than a specific piece of design. I'm still crazy about doing great design. But when I, like you, when I walk around here and I see people on the move in their career and learning things yeah. and think about where they'll go next and what they might do. Like so one of our team just left recently to start an agency. And I'm like, this is really exciting. You know, yeah. like, you know things like That's that. It's really cool. Yeah, it's really yeah. cool. And um, he, he and his uh, partner, they'll be brilliant. They'll yeah. do really, really well. Hi, Matt. WWW, <laughs> 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 whatever it is. Yeah, no, and I suppose that is part of it, seeing people go off. Yeah. Who, it is. I learn, think, you know, it's, it's uh, it, we have some a long tenured people. I think, you know, some folks have been here for 10 years, six years, eight years. So it's, it's really great to have that, right? People who are yeah, super loyal and, and, and find enough range and ability to grow from mm -hmm. intern to head of production or creative director or whatever. But equally, you know, we, we're on a journey for someone in their career and hopefully they leave here better than, than they came in and they, they take a lot of knowledge, but hopefully they, they'll succeed, you know, wherever they go. So I think that's all we can do. Oh, brilliant. Well, yeah, again, thanks again for letting me come over to the lovely well, studio. Thanks for us. Thank you, David. Let's go and have a look at it. Great. Thanks, thanks so much. much. Much appreciated. Pleasure. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode and I look forward to you coming back for the next one. 
If you'd like to find out more about APX and how we create great, then check out apx.studio. And if you'd like some daily inspiration in your life, then do visit visual.co.uk. And if you enjoyed this episode, head over to Spotify and give us a follow. 